This show is brought to you by my friends at Alliance and Trust. In wild times like these, you need more than financial product salespeople. You need a firm that looks at the entirety of your life and helps you with strategies that coordinate all disciplines of good stewardship so you can manage wisely what God has given you and thrive in these times of chaos and confusion. Have a team that acts as consultants in the business of you. Call 805-372-0821 to schedule your no-obligation discovery meeting. Welcome to the Bryce Eddy Show, where we are working hard to be a threat to the Great Reset and putting the man back in mankind. Um, today's guest is Spencer Clavin, who just wrote a book called How to Save the West, and he gives us uh, five ways to do that, and I thoroughly enjoyed this book. He's a great writer. Um, his background, he's an actual scholar, and we do have scholars on this show from, uh, from time to time. And uh, uh, he is uh, very smart. And if you read this book, uh, you will see that very quickly. But he's got some, I think, incredible perspective on kind of what's going on. And we're going to talk to him about that today. Spencer Clavin, how are you? Hey, Bryce. Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing great. Glad to be one of the scholars that made it on the show. I feel like that's a, a point of honor there. Well, you know, it's really disparaging to me because, you know, I, I don't know that I could keep up with many scholars. So, you know, I try to limit <laughs> the amount of actual smart people I get. No, just kidding. Oh, um, hey, so I, I, I did enjoy this book and, uh, you know, for the camera to see it. I know they see it on your screen as well. Um, I, I, uh, I did a fair amount of highlighting and although your, your <laughs> folks sent me a, uh, a good list of questions I should ask, I, um, I had some thoughts that I wanted to, you know, hit you with on this and, and get Great. your perspective. Great. Um, you know, the first thing right out of the gate, you do a good job of defining the West because I think people don't really understand that. And I would love for you to kind of just lay out, like, what do you, what do we mean when we say the West? Yeah, you know, I told a friend of mine that I was writing a book and that the title was How to Save the West. And she was like, oh, great. I love John Wayne movies. <laughs> and I was like, how do I explain that that's not what I'm talking about? Um, well, when you say that you're a defender of Western civilization or that you love the Western canon, uh, you get a lot of mixed reactions, one of which is kind of accusation, like that you're some kind of racist or this is evil and wrong to talk about these primitive Stone Age, whatever. Um, but when I say the West, what I mean is I'm talking about the cultural inheritance of Athens and Jerusalem. And those are really the two great pillars of our civilization. When I say Athens, I'm talking about the pagan philosophies of Greco-Roman antiquity, guys like Plato and Aristotle, Socrates. And then when I say Jerusalem, I'm talking about the Jewish and Christian scriptures, the monotheism, the revelation that comes down to us from that source of wisdom. And those two streams kind of meet and they fuse to become what we think of when we talk about Western civilization, Western culture. Uh, they spread out through Europe and ultimately end up here in America. I think we are the, you know, the great culmination of what has been achieved in the West so far. And the important thing to understand when you start thinking in these terms is, you know, it's easy to feel as if every crisis we're facing is totally new. Digital technology has seems to just made, remade the world, uh, the way we relate to one another and ourselves. They, they all seems kind of uh, unsettling. But in fact, one of the things that's happening right now is we're coming up against these very ancient and fundamental 
questions about our place in the universe, mankind's role in relationship to God. And those questions have been asked again and again throughout history um, and throughout the Western tradition. There have been great minds that addressed them and came up with some very beautiful, sophisticated and true answers. And the most important thing about that is it means we're not alone. This is not something we have to face just using the resources of our own kind of short lives. But we have a vast uh, treasure house, a storehouse of wisdom that comes down to us through this Western tradition. And we can and should make use of that as the whole world seems to be kind of turning upside down. This is a good way to orient ourselves, a good North Star. Yeah, that's great. So I, um, you know, I disagree with the left. And when you disagree with the left, you automatically get called a white supremacist. And I clapped yes. back, no, I'm a Western supremacist. And, uh, right. and I had, um, and then of course they, you know, went on some other angry screed. But I, um, one thing that I, I do think that we should celebrate is we should be celebrating what the West has done. And I find that many conservatives, when um, the left or those who hate the West or hate, uh, you know, Judeo-Christian values or, you know, any of that heritage, when when they get, um, you know, confronted about these things, they put us on um, the heels by saying, well, there were terrible things that went on. And they start, you know, doing a checklist of slavery and, you know, uh, other, you know, other things that that really I don't think we should be. Um, immediately apologizing for the conquering of civilization, which is essentially what the West did. And, and I, and I would love to explore that thought because again, you know, Mm. I don't, I don't have that many scholars on my show, but I, I feel instinctively like we should not be automatically going, well, you know, there's some things that we did wrong and there's, you know, because that, that frames things poorly, especially considering that life was brutal and savage as all societies came up. And and I don't think us us being on an apology, uh, you know, apology tour for anything really is (laughs) the way to go. That's so right. I mean, we immediately get trapped in this game of apologizing because we're. It feels like we're sort of going about our business, and then these accusations get made. I mean, there was an article in the Washington Post that I bring up in the book about Western civilization being kind of a dog whistle for whiteness and racism, and you get these kinds of arguments all the time now. And it's exactly like you say. Most of the time, people say, "Well, I mean, it's true that things are bad, but you know, look at uh, some of these good things we did." But in In fact, no, the answer is the only reason you even think to criticize the people that went before you, the only reason you even have an ounce of the moral intuition that would cause you to condemn something like slavery, which isn't evil. You, if you had lived during that time, you would have been among those almost certainly who held slaves because the reason you have the moral intuition to criticize the past is from these great thinkers of the West. It was they who came up with these ideas, ideas like man is created in God's image and therefore endowed by his creator with certain inalienable rights such as liberty. And when they bring out these historical accusations that these absolute truths, these ideals weren't perfectly installed universally from the moment they were thought of. Um, It's an obvious fallacy when you put it that way, but that's what they always say. They say you didn't live up to this ideal immediately. It took some time for this to work out. Well, how else could it possibly have been? We're fallen, broken human beings. The natural state of the world, as you say, is brutal and tribalist and ferocious. And I don't even necessarily think that's just something that 
that's back in the past, I think that's still the natural state of man without the historical education, without these traditional uh, insights that we've passed down and won through hard, hard intellectual and in some cases physical fighting. Um, these things that we can't just throw away or we'll immediately go back as we're seeing already to our old tribalism. I mean, the thing that they always say is, well, we need to get rid of, you know, Western civilization because it has this dark history, this dark past. It's like compared to what? Replace yeah. it with what? What idea do you have? Nothing. They've just got like, you know, white people are inherently bad. Oh, it's new now because we're doing it opposite. Like we're doing racism in the opposite direction. So this is the big, this is your big new idea. Um, it's, it really is an intellectually bankrupt kind of crusade. And I don't think we should get uh, kind of tangled up in making apologies or concessions to it. We should be unapologetic defenders of this tradition because it's worth it. Yeah. And again, it set and sowed the seeds for the freedom that we have, including freeing, freeing the slaves and, you know, righting right. some of those wrongs. And and you're right. I mean, it, it planted all of the, the fruits that we're able to enjoy now for everyone. And and so to, to get caught back on our heels, I think, is a complete mistake. Um, you you get into and again, I'm, I'm hitting uh, some of kind of the early stuff that you did right at the beginning, because I think you laid the, the laid out the case um, so well. Um, but you you mentioned and start to talk about, you know, the metaverse and technology and some of the, you know, the, the things that are, um, you know, getting mixed in now, um, you know, as the sort of saviors of us all. And I'm I'm, you know, obviously very concerned about that because we're seeing, you know, this elite oligarchy try to take us over uh, and try to reshape yep. things in their image. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I I would love you to weigh on a, another idea that I'm wrestling around. I, I think a lot of this is driven by, um, you know, to borrow a, a you know insult from the '80s, the nerds, and a <laughs> lot of the metaverse thing, where they are, you know, trying to, uh, you know, create a like a new world for them, where they can be anything that they want to be, and they can be superheroes within this, you know, metaverse kind of a thing, and swallow up right. by that, and and uh, not have to exercise and not have to, you know, do the things that they need to do. So um, I, I find that uh, interesting. It's also, I think, uh, some of their digital tech control seems to be based on a, a incredible amount of arrogance, um, mm. you know, and, and a need for them to control um, others that, that comes out of some of that self-image stuff, I think. Um, you know, any thoughts there? Yeah. For the Alliance and Trust family, finances in their blood. I grew up with them and they've handled my entire financial world for nearly 30 years. And as a testament to their talents, they've managed to keep me not just out of trouble, which in and of itself is remarkable, but they've helped me build real wealth. They've assisted me through complex business transactions and family matters. Now, even my daughters are working with Uncle Randy to put financial disciplines in place for their futures. Invest with people who share our values and will help you to be a good steward with what God has given you. Let Alliance in Trust help you to plan for what's next. Visit aewealth.com or call 805-371-8020 to learn more. Oh sure. Well, I think you mentioned at the top that you're the uh, you're the opponent of the Great Reset, and I, I love that because you want to talk about revenge of the nerds. The Great Reset, the World Economic Forum, is a classic kind of example of what happens when you let one of the virtues run riot without being balanced by the other virtues. And I say this as a self-proclaimed card-carrying grade A nerd. There yeah, is you did no go to Yale and Oxford, that, so <laughs> I have no leg to stand on when it comes 
comes to accusing people of being dorks or dweebuses or however you want to put it. Um, you know, I'll, but I will say that the classical way of understanding this, and I get into this a little bit in the book, um, is to look at the human person as a whole. And the only way you can do that is if you understand that we have souls. We're not just kind of Amen. collections of attributes or streams of different ideas. Uh, we're not just flesh. We're not just meat to be rearranged at will. We are embodied souls. The soul is the governing principle that gives structure and form to everything that we are. And what that means is we are a kind of thing. We are rational animals, human beings, and we have something that the Greeks would have called Erite, uh, which is excellence. That's where we translate, we eventually get our word virtue out of this idea that it's there is such a thing as being good and bad at being human. Um, and crucially, you know, we think that the kind of the smart people rule the world. You got to go to college if you want to succeed in life and so on and so forth. Um, but this holistic idea of the person, the total person, the, the embodied soul, um, we are not just brains in jars. And even our minds can lead us astray, no matter how smart and sophisticated we may be. You need other virtues too. There are four cardinal virtues that the uh, ancient philosophers identified. And one of them, it's true, was Sophia, wisdom. And that's the virtue of the mind, the, the head. Um, it's a very important leading virtue. You want to think with your head and not with other parts of your body or person. There's no question about that. Um, but there are three others, one of which really crucially, I think, especially for this conversation, um, is Andrea in Greek, and that means manliness, virtue, the virtue of the of courage. Um, and, and that, you know, kind of chest virtue, they, they associated it in, in classical philosophy with the thumos or the kind of the heart or the chest. Um, that's something that C.S. Lewis talked about, you know, cutting away the chest yeah. and expecting to still uh, defend civilization is a, is a fool's game. Um, and then there's another important virtue, which I think is also very much under assault at the moment, and that's so frustrune, uh, moderation, the ability to take your pleasures in stride and not say, oh, just because I want something means I should have it and have it now, right? That I, I must satisfy all my desires because that's my authentic self. Um, the Greek idea would be, no, actually, uh, your desires are kind of a many-headed beast. And if you just follow them wherever they lead, you're going to end up in some dark spots. So the interaction between, you know, the, the mind, the heart and the joys that we seek in the world, that's, you know, kind of that moderation that's so frustrating. And to guide and govern the whole thing, you have one last virtue and that's decay, which is justice. And justice doesn't just mean, uh, you know, making the right laws, although it has to do with that. It also means governing yourself well, keeping a tight check on your impulses and using your reason to guide and, uh, direct your courage, your thumos, your Andrea. Um, that's a better picture, I think, of the whole person than we are currently working with, which is basically like, we're just minds and the smarter you are, the more you should rule. There's more to it than that. And that's why uh, the Revenge of the Nerds has not been working out so well for your average Joe. The, um, the CEO of um, ChatGPT um, mm. just made a post and I, I saw it run around, uh, maybe last week that, um, it won't be the lower level jobs that'll be replaced by AI, but the higher level jobs. And, uh, and, and I, I thought that was actually, um, uh, insightful because we're going to need plumbers. We're going to need electricians. We're going to need people building things. We're going to need things, uh, you know, before we're going to, you know, need uh, diversity and inclusion <laughs> consultants and all of those sort of things that'll probably get replaced by some what of this are you AI. Saying? You mean the 
the HR uh, chief officer of justice and equity isn't an essential worker who needs his job. I'm shocked. It's a gut feeling. It's a gut feeling I have, but. I mean, one of the things that AI has revealed, I think, is how much of our so-called intellectual elites are producing stuff that could just be churned out by a machine. It's so dull and drab the way they see the world, right? Parceling people up into these little boxes and then giving the preferment to the favored classes and all of that. Of course, you can outsource that work to a machine. You know, it's it's still not going to be a very good idea to run society that way. But you're also, I think, you're hitting on something important when you say like a lot of the intellectual work, a lot of the kind of um, so-called elite work that gets done is uh, kind of soulless. It's kind of empty of real originality and content. And if you read the guys that, you know, I'm talking about in the book, the kind of great thinkers of the tradition, um, a lot of them are not kind of egghead brain in jar types. You know, they're they're relating their observations to the real world and to the earthy concerns of people that would have to work. Um, and if this stuff is worth anything at all, it's because it should have something to say to plumbers and to people who are, you know, farmers and all of that. Like some of the great early poets are, are farmers. And so that that kind of union of, of head and heart uh, with with the body and the soul is really important. And yeah, I mean, a lot of the kind of what passes for intellectual life at the moment is basically doable by AI machines. Yeah, agreed. You know, and I, I, I lament um, the fact that we don't have enough of, um, you know, the sitting around and, and discussing, you know, as men, you know, deep, uh, you know, concerns and thoughts about things and, you know, spending that time to think through things that I think, you know, was certainly, you know, more common in the times that you're writing about, I mean, without a doubt, but even, you know, amongst our founding yeah. fathers and, and, you know, those that have, you know, set up what we're enjoying the fruits of right now, um, I think deep thoughts and meaning was something that they, that they pondered thought about, uh, you know, enjoyed discussing over, a, you know, a, an ale or two. And we're yep, and we're absolutely. losing uh, so much of that. You know, our, our show is going to do uh, what I what I'm I'm uh, joking. The work, working title is going to be the unhinged episodes. But I'm ge- I'm getting together some friends and we're going to film it and we're going to just you know talk about those things and you know fuel it with uh, you know some cigars and maybe a whiskey and you know and, and and have a blast. But we need to be doing more of that stuff. And I know you you talk a lot about um, you know us having no meaning um, and and really you know miss. Missing uh, that or having that as a real crisis right now. Can you can you talk about that mm-hmm. a little? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, uh, you're just making me jealous about the cigars, the whiskey, the conversation. Well, where do you live? Great. You'll have to you'll have to come out. We're going to do it on a regular basis. <laughs> I'll get you. You know, fantastic. What, yeah. What part? Where do you yeah. live anyway? Oh, I'm out in Nashville, in Tennessee. Oh, Nashville, you okay? You went Daily Wire. That's right. Yeah. So you uh, yeah you made the uh, the migration. We're still on the front lines here in California. So. Oh, are you? Okay. Yeah. Well, Godspeed. You know, God bless you guys for for uh, sticking it out there. But look, I mean, what you raise is really important. There is a concept in classical ethics uh, called phrenesis, and this is the uh, kind of practical wisdom that makes the jump from thought to action. It's the bridge between your big abstract ideas and your the things that you actually do in the world. And so when you talk about, you know, the the founding fathers, another group that I think of when you're describing that that group is the Inklings, you know, who were uh, many of the 
um, veterans of one of the two world wars, um, but were also poets, artists, thinkers, yeah. sure. uh, to- writers Tolkien. of, of- Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yep. Yeah, C.S. Lewis, um, you know, quite, yeah, quite a few others that were just brilliant. That's absolutely right. And, you know, Lewis was was wounded in the First World War. And so, you know, now we know him for his uh, great fiction and nonfiction and the Chronicles of Narnia and the, some of his sermons and speeches. But he was also a war hero. He was a veteran. Um, and that's important. You know, it's that connection between doing and thinking um, that you get when especially I think a group of guys gets together and talks about what's actually on their mind in their lives and maybe has something they're reading to go along with it. You know, I, I, I talk to people a lot who say, you know, these great books, they seem really nice, but I can't quite get into them. And I say, do it with friends, do it as a team sport. Cause you know, when you start thinking about philosophy, what's one of the earliest forms of philosophical text that comes down to us from antiquity? It's the dialogue, right? And our word dialectic, dialogos is just logos, word, speech, together or shared dia through uh, and among a group of people. So that forming of, of community, um, which I think, you know, guys really need to kind of get their thoughts together and, and, and share it, you know, over a cigar or whiskey. That's like, uh, it's, it's not just a pastime. That's actually what philosophy is. And I kind of, uh, wrote, the book in some ways to, to get that across to people, that this is not just like abstract stuff that furnishes material for PhD theses. This is actually stuff that you can take ownership of from people that were thinking through a lot of the same stuff you were um, and can help you to maybe, you know, run your family better or uh, participate better in your community. These things are not, they don't live on, an, on a shelf, but they're no less elevated and dignified for all of that. You know, we think simple means bad or simple means kind of uninterested. But actually, the simplest truths are the hardest to put into practice, and they're the ones that we need to ruminate over again and again, preferably with the the greats by our side. Yeah, and that's you know, and that's that concept, um, you know, in the Bible of iron sharpening iron. You know, we mm. need to be you know yep. testing these ideas and and you know spending time with others to you know p- puzzle through these things. And I did like that you you know you do a good job setting very clearly the fact that this is not new. You know, all of these things that are being wrestled through and going on, you know, this it might be somewhat new to us, you know, because we've lost sure. the ability, to, you know, or, or you know, the, the knowledge that we need to to know that these are things that are going on throughout, you know, all of, you know, humanity's existence. And, uh, and sure. I think you do a great job of, of really, you know, laying that out. Well, you know, it's funny. I've been thinking lately, like whenever you fall in love for the first time, everybody who falls in love for the first time thinks he's inventing all the problems, thinks like this is the first time anybody has ever felt this way about somebody. And eventually, if you're lucky, you talk to somebody older and they say, no, this is people have been through this before. And this is kind of the way this typically works. And you can, you know, don't go that way, go this way instead. And that's kind of what human civilization is like on the big scale. You know, we come up against these problems in every generation. And how would we know that they've been faced before? You know, we only get one life. And so you look at something like the the metaverse or, you know, these propositions, the kind of trans craze that we're going through, anything like that that's coming up now. And it's easy to feel like this is the first time these issues have ever been raised. But that's what the canon is there for. The canon is your older grandfather who will say, no, actually, some of these issues have been uh, raised before and you're not alone in dealing with them. You have a whole company, a whole tradition uh, behind you to draw from. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, uh, 
I do want to get your perspective on, um, you know, where wokeness uh, came from, which is, you know, one of the questions that uh, that, you know, your team suggested we talk about. And uh, and I hate going by I hate going by those suggestions because I, you know, I like to read the book myself. But but I'm, you know, the partisan age that we're in right now where we are have gotten so suddenly tribal over a very Mm. short period of time. To where, yeah. I mean, literally yeah. neighbors are against neighbors. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the tension is in the air in a way that it never has been. Um, you know, is there a parallel or reflection of that in past times? You know, is, can, we, can we look to the past to see, you know, why, we're, why we've arrived at this point? Yeah. Or is it just the, you know, manipulation that we've been, you know, at, you know, at the hands of? Birch Gold makes it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Here's what you need to do. Text BRYCE to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold and then talk to one of their precious metals specialists. Think about this. To dig our country out of this mountain of debt, every single taxpayer in America would have to write a check for $247,000. And it's only getting worse. Protect yourself with gold today by texting Bryce to 989898 with an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews. You can trust Birch Gold to protect your future. Text Bryce to 989898 today. Well, you know, this is something I talk about a lot in this last section of the book, The Crisis of the Regime, and that's the part that's kind of about where is America headed? What's happening to the country? And I think uh, you can say a few things. There's an old joke. How did you go bankrupt? Well, first gradually and then all at once, right? And that's kind of how it works with philosophical ideas as well. You feed this stuff through the academy, through the systems of kind of intellectual production. And at first, it just seems like something that's happening kind of out there, like in the universities and kids go to college, but then they grow up and they meet the real world. Um, But Eventually, as you do that over enough generations, you build up a critical mass of these bad ideas. Um, And one strain of the ideas that we've been up against recently, uh, as I argue in the book, is a kind of mutated form of Marxism. Now, uh, Karl Marx, obviously very infamous figure in Western history as kind of the originator of, um, you know, the, the theory of kind of proletarian revolutions, communist uprising, that sort of thing. But something that not everybody realizes is that after the um, kind of communist turn began in Europe, it became clear that revolution, communist revolution wasn't going to work so well in the United States for the simple reason that we had a middle class. Our our capitalist free market system creates a robust uh, group of people who are not going to be so easily sold on this bill of goods that like, you know, uh, Dale Carnegie is evil and wrong because he has more money than you. Um, We have a different philosophy, a, a better and sounder philosophy about this stuff. And so there wasn't that discontent that you could draw on for a revolution. But there is the possibility to to turn Americans against one another according to social class. Um, And if you can tell people you're not an American, you're an oppressed black person or you're an oppressed woman or you're an oppressed gay person or what have you, um, then you can really start to tear some, uh, some, you know, some rips in the fabric of our republic. And this is where you get ideas like, you know, white privilege.
privilege um, comes from this guy Noel Ignatiev and and sort of comes down from this Marxist thought of, you know, white skin privilege. This is how Americans are kind of turned against one another. Um, and what I argue in, in the book is that this is precisely the way that you unmake a republic because republics like ours are founded on what the Greeks would have called philia, civic friendship, uh, political love is the way I put it in the book. Um, and without that neighborliness, that sense that you and I and anybody that calls himself an, as American, um, that is an American citizen, is part of a shared endeavor, um, what Aristotle calls a labor of love. Um, if you don't have that sense, then you start to get what you're seeing now. So this is why, for instance, when Joe Biden said we have a pandemic of the unvaccinated, I about hit the roof because it's like, okay, uh, some significant portion of the American population is tantamount in the mind of their president to a disease. Like that's that's where we're at rhetorically. And this is the guy that's going to bring us back to normalcy. But one thing that I think is really important about understanding this stuff and reading the great theorists of these issues is that then you start to see what might be done to to fix it. And that's reinvestment in neighbors and neighborhoods. Uh, the connection that we share, not online, not in some imaginary abstract space, but really in real life, in physical, in the physical world, um, at our school boards, in our churches, in our communities, that stuff's indispensable if we find our way back, reinvesting in, in neighborhoods and in political love. So now how much of this is intentional in your view, uh, this dividing? Um, you know, I, I think a lot of it is. But, you know, what what are your general thoughts uh, in respect to that? Yeah, there's kind of this ongoing like debate, you know, stupid or just evil basically yeah. is like the way to put it. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of things can be true at, at once. I think you do have a fair amount of pretty cynical manipulation on the part of the Davos set. You just look at the way they use language at the World Economic Forum, you know, oh, we're into stakeholder theory. And it's so clever because it sounds like shareholder theory. It sounds like we're just good capitalists and we just believe that businesses should benefit the people that have invested in them. But stakeholder theory is this like slight deviation from that that means basically the entire world has a stake in how a business is run. And what that means is that anybody can come in and tell you how to run your business. And if anybody can do it, then that means they should appoint themselves as the masters of the world, right? Um, so that the way that this kind of works, I think, is not that people sit around and think, how can I destroy America? But that people have in their hearts that drive to power, that longing to dominate their fellow man that's part of our fallen nature, part of the evil that's kind of uh, inherent in this, in this world and in human nature. And and without the guardrails that we have put in place over centuries, without the you know philosophical attempts that we have made to shape the heart of man and to teach children, as the Bible says, right, teach up a raise up a child in the way he should go, and he will not depart from it when he is old. That kind of training, that soul formation, um, is what keeps people from just devolving into tribalism and uh, into kind of strongman domination and oppression. So. It's it's really to me, it's less a question of like, you know, are they trying to destroy things or are they just reverting to a kind of primitive uh, grasp for power? And I think that's basically what it is. It's pagan power politics. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's, you know, certainly some intentionality behind it, too, in certain circles, mm -hmm. you know, uh, because that's how they can, you know, if they can destroy us by dividing us, they can remake it in their own image. And I think there's a lot of that that's going on, which is fueled by that, that you know, e evil mm -hmm. um, nature um, that you describe. So, sure um, 
Yeah. So I, I love that you in the book, you know, you communicate, I think, very effectively the importance of us, you know, studying some of these pagan, you know, philosophers. Um, but yet a lot of Christians and, you know, we're a Christian show. Our audience is largely Christian are, um, you know, maybe opposed to some of that. Um, you know, again, our our crew here is pretty sophisticated and and. Um, and you know want to want to pursue truth and wisdom anywhere it's found um but what are your thoughts on on why there's that disconnect well it's a very very old problem you know when the christian church starts to take shape and as it is striving just to avoid persecution in the early years you know just trying not to get thrown to the lions basically um there is an effort, an important effort, to establish the truth of things and distinguish it from from paganism and, and polytheism and pantheism. And this is where you get a lot of the doctrinal disputes in the early church. You know, how can God have three persons but be one God? It's really important to kind of lay the groundwork of those truths. And in the process, uh, the Christian church often will say, you know, pagan gods are demons. They are false idols and demons. And this is, you know, perfectly, in my view, perfectly true. It is actually the case that yeah, uh, pagan gods, foreign gods are in fact demons. Um, and and as a side note, you know, a lot of them are back, right? I mean, you look at like the statues that they put up in New York and they look almost identical to Ishtar, goddess of sex and war. From, yeah, can from you believe Babylonia. that? Oh my gosh. I mean, it's like, no, they're it, resurrecting it's so it. on the nose. Right, yeah. right. And in some ways, it's like they never left. You know, they were always those those spirits, the principalities and powers of the world. They are real and they are operative. Amen. And that's why when people kind of turn around and they say, you know, let's let's find a new way of doing things. It often looks a lot like that kind of pagan idolatry. But all of that having been said, um, it's possible to throw the baby out with the bathwater on this stuff because it's true that uh, pagan religion is not is not true. But it's also the case that a lot of uh, people who lived in pagan societies actually knew this. And if you look at what people like Socrates are recorded as having said by Plato about uh, polytheism, the worship of many gods, uh, he's like sitting around and saying, this stuff doesn't make any sense. So if there's like two gods and they want two different things, then what's good, right? What's the kind of highest good? And ultimately he's sort of driving at this idea that really uh, philosophy only makes sense if you have one God, if you have a God who rules over all of creation. And so they're, it's like they're pressing their noses up against the glass a lot of the time. They can kind of see uh, as far as human uh, wisdom and reason can see. And this is why a lot of church uh, fathers and a lot of people in the you know early Christian church realize that what is really going on here is that since truth is eternal and since God has blessed man to know the truth in some halting way, um, those who have thought most deeply about this stuff have kind of uh, had an inclination of, of God's truth that can be used and revealed uh, by Christian teaching most fully. They're sort of baptizing Aristotle is the way that people sometimes put this. Um, and this is really powerful because it actually indicates places in which the truths that are in scripture, um, you know, they were revealed, but they also were just there to be seen. You know, John's yeah. gospel says that nothing was made without him and without him, not one thing was made that was made. And and that means that all of these truths, the logos, as the Greeks would have called it, were threaded through uh, reality, creation from the beginning. So for instance, you know, you have this 
really remarkable insight in pagan antiquity that uh, mankind is what's called hylomorphic. That is, we are made of soul and body together, sort of enmeshed. So uh, flesh and, and spirit are, are kind of as one. And Aquinas adopts this, Thomas Aquinas in the medieval church, and says this is actually the true doctrine of, of the soul. And he gets it in large part from Aristotle. But one of the things I point out in the book is remarkably that doctrine that Aquinas is picking up from Aristotle is perfectly in accord with scripture. If you go back to Genesis, mm -hmm. you look at how God breathes into the dust, right? God took dust, he breathed the breath of life into it, and then it became a living soul. So we're not some airy breath, and that's really us, but we're just kind of imprisoned in, in these dusty bodies. It's actually the fusion of the dust and the breath that makes a man. And so when you really kind of chase these things down to their end, they actually agree. It's just that, you know, they, they come from these very different sources. Um, and, and scripture is kind of the guide that the church uses to, to sift true from false. But it doesn't mean the pagans have uh, nothing to teach us. In fact, just the opposite. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I always suggest that, uh, you know, so if God's the author of truth and he's the author of wisdom, but many times it gets discovered by other people or expressed by other people very well. You know, they, they mm. recognize the truth that God created. They'll express it. And um, and it doesn't mean that they are the ones that authored it. And um, mm, that's well put. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that that's that's really the the key um, to um, you know uh, our I think the importance of of us spending our time and you know re uh, reading these things and researching these things and you know spending time with you know with um, other uh, you know wise scholars. Um, you know, one of the uh, things that you know, of course, is going around is, you know, any Christian who's outspoken, who also happens to be a patriot, is now a Christian nationalist or a Christo-fascist or a stochastic terrorist or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, if you're standing up for truth in any kind, you know, that's that's what we're going to get. Um, right. You know, my... Um, philosophy on that is when they say those sort of things, I just go, yeah, okay, whatever, wear it proudly on a t-shirt, you know, and, hmm. uh, and, and, you know, and take those things from them. They do that to us and, you know, changing these terms all the time. So, you know, steal it sure. back. But, um, I don't think that the West, uh, could survive. I, I don't think it would be here without Christianity. And so them trying to disappear it is why we are going down. So I'd just love your, your comments on, on that. Valentine's Day is over, but the need to say I love you is never over. Finding a way to tell someone you care about them on a consistent basis is hard. At least it was until Good Ranchers came along. Say I love you with meat this year, but not just any meat. It has to be Good Ranchers. 100% American, hand-trimmed, steakhouse-quality meat and seafood. Over 85% of grass-fed beef sold in stores is imported from overseas. That doesn't say I love you. That says I think you're as good as this old meat shipped over from Venezuela. Don't say that. Instead, use my code BRYCE to get $30 off when you order any box from Good Ranchers today. Nothing says you care more than prime cuts of beef, pasture-raised chicken, and premium quality seafood. You can get all of it delivered every four, six, or eight weeks at GoodRanchers.com. Ditch the usual gifts that just don't cut it anymore. Say it with a subscription to American Meat instead. Snag your $30 off with my code BRYCE at GoodRanchers.com today. With a 100% satisfaction guarantee, you can count on your monthly delivery of meat to always deliver the quality a great gift needs. 
Forget regular flour deliveries. Set up an easy, affordable, and delicious subscription to American Meat Delivered today and save $30 with my code BRYCE. Say you're the best with the best meat in America from Good Ranchers. That's truly, uh, that's very perceptive. And I mean, I think that especially this country whose founding documents make reference to a creator, right? They always say, well, we have separation of church and state. And so that means that you can't talk about God at all in the right. public square it's or you foolish can't idea. relate God. To, it's, it's preposterous. And it's obviously not what was intended by the founders. They have a, a, a very, I think, good idea, which is that the state shouldn't tell you which sect you're supposed to belong to. It shouldn't impose a religious practice upon you in, in its specifics. But the notion that you can have have any kind of state without reference to God or, or some concept of the divine is foolishness. And there's a really, I think, important part of the Bible that speaks to this uh, that we sometimes overlook. And that is the line in the Psalms that says, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. And it's easy to read that and think, oh, this just means like atheists are dumb. It's dumb to be an atheist. And, uh, you know, fair enough. I like bagging on atheists as much as anybody else, but I think the line has a more profound meaning. And that is, if you tell yourself you don't have a God, if you believe that you're not worshiping something, you are a fool. You have made yourself into a fool by yeah. denying the very nature of the human heart, which is to worship. We worship things. That's just what we do. Whatever we do implies that something is good, that we want something, that we're aiming at something. And if you're aiming at something, then there's something that's good, absolutely, some highest good. Um, Denying that doesn't uh, make you free. It just makes you deluded. It makes you kind of lose your self-awareness, which is what we see now in like, you know, the summer of 2020 when folks were kneeling before the BLM rioters uh, asking for absolution, right? Yeah, or when they yeah. were calling out to the science, capital T, capital S, and Dr. Fauci was out here saying, I represent the science, right? That's not a scientific attitude. That's a statement of clerical authority. That's a claim to divine wisdom and knowledge, and all, everybody else has to kind of get in line and, and obey. So all of this is simply to say um, religion is out there. It didn't go anywhere. It's just that the object of our worship has changed. Um, and the better way of doing this would be to say, okay, we all worship. Everybody is worshiping. What deserves our worship? What can we Amen. put in that place of the highest good um, that won't make us slaves, but will make us free? And that's the question I, I ask in the book. And I think the only answer to that remains the God of Israel. That's sort of how it, how it works. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, I think the, the entire left has now been swallowed up in a cult. And I just view each one of the manifestations of different denominations. So, you know, veganism mm -hmm. to environmentalism to whatever, they all seem to just be these different expressions uh, or manifestation yeah. of that same cult philosophy that, that they're in where they are yeah. pretending that they are, you know, not religious or they have no spirituality or whatever, you know, term you want to use. Um, but, but they are very much, you know, swallowed up in, in this odd cult. And, you know, we're vulnerable to this on the right, too. It's important yeah. to remember, I think, you know, like when they wheeled out that golden Trump statue at CPAC a while back, I thought, you know, there is a point at which you want to be careful and be Amen. careful where you put your faith and put your trust, uh, because even those of us who are conservatives, who believe in conservative values and principles, um, don't believe in worshiping politics or politicians. Yeah. Um, and so really the distinction here is at least, you know, we have this wisdom to make us aware of this, to make us aware of the human heart's temptation 
temptation to idolatry um, and at least to guide us beyond, you know, the things of of this world, um, which is really important because, like you say, otherwise you just become a kind of blind worshiper of idols. That's why they say, you know, the uh, idols have eyes but see not, have ears but hear not, and those who worship will become like them, right? That's a kind of a crazy line in the Psalms, Psalm 115, uh, and you think, why would that be? Why would worshiping a statue turn you into a statue? Well, it's because it hollows out your mind from the inside out. It makes you unable to see yourself or to see your worship for what it really is. Um, and that's a dangerous position to be in, which is why, you know, the, the scriptures and the great texts of that Jerusalem side of the tradition are so crucial. They're so crucial for us. And the fact that they're crucial for recovering a sense of American independence is probably why when you claim them, you get called a terrorist or a domestic terrorist or a you know, Christian nationalist or whatever nasty name they can think to throw at you. They're just trying to throw you off the scent. Yeah, oh, very well expressed. So um, in our uh, final few minutes here, you know, how I was originally introduced to you was uh, through some of your social media as you were posting some of your gains working out, all that stuff. <laughs> and sure you do, enough. Yeah, and you do talk about physical training, uh, you know, in the book a little bit and, you know, and why that's important. So let's, uh, you know, let's kind of end on that. Well, I'm just trying to get big like you, King. I mean, I'm here looking at you. You're obvious. <laughs> no, no. I mean, actually, I think this is weirdly important. And it's funny because, you know, posting online about going to the gym doesn't seem that important. But one of the principles of the book is that the simple things are the most important. Um, and we have this idea now that is very current, that's kind of all over the place, that your body is just an accident, that it's kind of this like, you know, raw material for you to manipulate at will. And if you feel like a man, but you're a woman, then you can get surgery and hormones. And if you feel like a robot, then maybe you put a chip in your brain. And, you know, this is just a kind of, uh, it's just a plaything, really. Um, and what I argue in the book is that no, in fact, we, because we are embodied souls, our bodies matter. And you don't have to try to like, look like Superman. Not everybody should like, you know, need to airbrush his abs or whatever. Um, but at the very least, right, the gym, uh, the barbell, the bench press is where you come up against the hard facts of reality. There's no arguing uh, a two-plate bench that you actually did lift it, right? You have to, in fact, put the reps up. And that's actually crucial. That's one of the reasons why I think gyms often stayed open during COVID, why they had the chutzpah to, to resist. Um, so, you know, do you even bro is a, a, a pretty valid question to be asking of people uh, these days. So I guess we got to keep fitness posting, unfortunately. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, I, I think uh, it, it is evidence, though, uh, to the opposite. I, I think it's no accident that they on the left, you know, you're watching these mm. TikTok videos and all of them look like they are incredibly unhealthy physically. Oh, yeah. And they sure. are, you know, physically destroying themselves, you know, punching their bodies full of holes, uh, you know, yeah. uh, you know, chemically dyeing their hair, you know, Halloween colors, you know, just, you know, going to the extreme almost to make themselves look ugly. Um, mm. And and I think that that's a, you know, a crisis of their hearts and, you know, everything that's going on, you know, with with that very idea that you're describing. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, because, of course, beauty, if, if beauty is not just a kind of in the eye of the beholder thing, but actually has some reality to it, um, then the whole jig is up because the world uh, is not just made of matter. There are actually absolute abstract truths. Uh, there's such a thing as human nature. Um, and so that 
uh, assault on beauty, which is also a characteristic of demonic possession in the yeah. Christian tradition, right? That attack yeah. on what is beautiful, the and rage you're seeing, against beauty. Yeah, yeah, and you're seeing that in modern art, um, mm -hmm. you know, which is no longer beautiful. Um, you're seeing yep. that in music, which is in, in also lacking a lot of beauty. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing that kind of all over the place. And so I, I think yep. it's, yeah, I think it's just manifestations of, of evil and, and, you know, spiritual darkness. That's right. And, uh, you know, the the rage is really against the notion that there is such a thing as truth, because, like I said, when you when you deal with the body, when you deal with beauty, you come up against absolute truths. Um, and, you know, the more we try to push against that, uh, the more obvious it becomes that it's not working. They promise you liberation from the flesh. They promise you freedom. And all we get is uglier, sicker and sadder. So instead of that, Read the great texts. That's my uh, that's my final uh, uh, guidance to people. I think I love yeah. it. Yeah. So where do we uh, where do we get the book? Uh, how do we follow you? How do we keep up with uh, with your journey? And how do we support you? Oh, thanks for asking. I'm on Twitter, like you said, at Spencer Clavin. Uh, come for the dank memes and the Aristotle posting. Stay for the gym selfies, I guess is the pitch there. And then uh, the book can be found wherever fine books are sold. If you go to howtosavethewestbook.com, uh, you can find all the different platforms or you just get it on Amazon and uh, make sure to leave a five-star review. Awesome. Well, hey, I appreciate you. Thank you for joining me. This was fun. And, uh, you know, good to, good to meet you over this uh, medium and you know maybe we'll get you out for one of our um, cigar and uh, whiskey discussions i would actually go out to california for that which just shows how much i enjoyed this conversation so yes awesome. that sounds awesome, awesome. Thanks for right having on me. okay well we'll stay friends <laughs> <laughs>